Good morning, One Church. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first time with us, I just want to say, you're, you know, we're glad to have you here. We really are. You're a special guest. And uh, uh, we do everything that you see here for Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little crazy right now. I'm a little nuts. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine in between two services, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And um, let me just say this, that everything that we do is to connect God and people. Everybody. God wants everybody to have a relationship with him. And, uh, I mean, the, we, we got people here who got here at 530 this morning to set stuff up. And that is the reason. That is the reason we do that. And I just want to say to those who do that week after week, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we're in our second week of our series called Disciple. And we talked uh, last week that if being a Christian is anything, if, this, if being a Christian to you is anything except having a sold out, fanatical, on fire relationship with Jesus Christ, then you need to stop being a Christian. Because God, Jesus Christ, never calls anyone just to be a Christian. We looked at last week that the word Christian is only found three times in the entire Bible. Uno, dos, tres. Thank you, Dora the Explorer. All right? Let me tell you, the word disciple is found 269 times in the Bible. The word follow me, those two words, Jesus says them 49 times. But yet we settle for just being a Christian. And we have this fuzzy relationship where we, we pray and we have this relationship where we're getting to heaven, but that's kind of where it ends. So we, our whole thrust for this entire series is to stop being a Christian and start becoming a disciple. We looked at last week, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And we looked at the word disciple. The Greek word literally means to be a learner. And Jesus talks about that we are to put our lives and get yoked up with Jesus Christ. That Jesus gets in the yoke with us and that he trains us. He leads us. He tells us to go that way or this way or to go faster or to go slower. But we are to put our lives and our, our every decision, we're to yoke it with Jesus Christ. That is the first characteristic of being a disciple. Is to be a learner. To be a learner. Now, the second characteristic that we're going to talk about today of being a disciple, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Some of you are going to leave here scratching your heads. This one's going to trip some of you up. Because some of you have grown up in churches and you've heard this idea about having and living a balanced life. How many of y'all ever heard of living a balanced life? Anyone? All right. How many of y'all feel out of balance? Okay, that's all of us, all right? Um, just to let you know, this is going to rock your world on this one. I've, I've actually been to churches and I've heard preachers preach sermons on living a balanced Christian life. In fact, they would have like a, a pie chart like this. And they would talk about, if you are going to live a Christian life, you need to give the biggest and the first part of your life to God, right? So you give God the biggest, the first part of your life. And then outside of God, then you have family and you give family some of your time. 
And then outside of that, you go work because, you know, we all got jobs. We got JLB, so we got we to gotta have a work life. And then some of you go, to, you, know, you go to work and you also go to school. That's amazing to me. So you, you're in school. And then you have money and you got friendships and you got hobbies. And we all have this. And I've, again, I've heard sermons about this. It's this wonderful little pie chart. It's all neat. It's tidy. It's compartmentalized. And it's just, well, it's balanced. I feel good when I see that. There's one problem. The Bible totally speaks against this. Totally. You see, if you're just going to be a Christian, then you can have a balanced life. You can do your Sunday morning thing and we compartmentalize Sunday. That's God's time. Monday Okay, well, that's my job. Uh, that's the armies. That's me pouring into my kids. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm a school teacher. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. You know, I, I'm whatever. Secretary. Saturday's me time. And then Sunday, we're back to God. And that all fits and looks good and it's tidy and it's safe. And if that's what you want, just being a Christian, you can have that. But let me tell you, this is going to leave you wanting more. Because he's saying, I don't want you just to be a Christian. I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. He wants the first part. He also wants the last part. And he wants everything that falls in between. Because that's just how God is. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you're looking at being a Christian, this may work for you. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's going to get boring, and you're going to go through the Christian life, and you're going to say, that's all there is, and you know what? There's going to be some hard times coming up, and uh, it's probably not going to work very well for you. But if you are a disciple, and you put Jesus first, last, and everything in between, that there are certain results that you're going to get from your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's certain things that you can expect God can do for you that he's not going to do just for the average person. The fuzzy Christian we've been talking about. God wants to make it crystal, crystal clear. Let's, let's look at some people in the Bible who are a little out of balance. Most of y'all raised your hands when you were out of balance. So you're already practicing the sermon. All right, let's talk about Peter. Peter, a lot of words could be used to describe Peter, but balanced isn't one of them. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. And Peter, who had... Wife had a kid. I mean, had children. We find out later through church history. We, I mean, he he's grooming to be doing the family business. He, you know, his dad owns his own fishing business. He drops his nets, walks away, and follows Jesus. And we looked at two weeks ago that he was crucified upside down because he was so radical. Um, so balanced, probably not for Pete. All right, what about Paul? Paul was a dude who was very religious, kind of grew up in the religious scene until Jesus got a hold of him one day, and he left all of that to get really fanatical about Jesus Christ. And we talked a couple of weeks ago that he was beheaded because of that. Balance for Paul? Probably not so much. He was a little out of balance. You see, the thing is, you can only be balanced if you have a lot of pieces. To, to balance. 
If we compartmentalize our faith. But God doesn't want us to compartmentalize our life. He wants us to live our life going 100%, 100 miles down the road. And some of you did that this morning getting here. He wants you to go 100 miles down the road for Jesus. And it's just radical, sold out, all or nothing. And that's what he's calling all of us to be. It's to be a disciple. To be a disciple, to be radical. Okay, look at this. We looked at this verse last week. This is Luke chapter 14. You're talking about an out-of-balance out of call here. Look, listen to what Jesus says. It says, great crowds were following Jesus. Now, let me say that. Jesus was a master. A lot of people, he could gather a crowd. He would feed 5,000. He would heal people. And he would get a lot of people around him. And once those lot of people got around him, then he would come and he would usually hit them with a one-two punch. A little uppercut. And this is exactly what he does here. He turned around and said to them. Who's the them here? I'm sorry. We'll say that one more time. Let's go back one more time. It's the crowds. He's saying to the crowds. And this is what he's saying. If you want to be my follower. We talked about that last week. If you want to be my follower. You must love me more than your own father. More than your own mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, more than even your own life. That's radical. That's out of balance. That is just passionate. That's what he's calling. You, you, you got to love me more than anybody you know. And by the way, you got to love me even more than you love yourself. And all of us love ourselves, Right? All of us. We're going to take care of numero uno. Jesus said, you got to love me more than yourself. Look at this. Otherwise, you cannot be my, what is that word? Not Christian, disciple. There's a difference. Because you know what? Being a Christian costs you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. Being a Christian, it's a one-time choice. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you believe in your heart and confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's a one-time choice. Being a disciple, that's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, literally sometimes second-by-second choice that I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do. Being a Christian costs you nothing, costs Jesus everything. Being a disciple can cost you everything, and it probably will. That's what he's talking about. You cannot be my disciple. And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, but don't begin until you count the cost. Make no mistakes about it, one church. What Jesus wants is your love. That's what he wants. And I don't think it's any accident that Jesus speaking here, he's saying he uses the family relationships. Because most of us, unless you come from a dysfunctional family, the closest people in your life that you're close to is who? It's your family, right? It's your mom and dad. It's, it's, your, it's your wife or your husband. It's your, it's your sister or your brother. He purposely, in fact, my mama said this, that blood is always thicker than water. And Jesus is saying, you're right, but I want to be even thicker. I want you to put me before the concerns of your spouse and your own children and your parents. It's going to cost 
to be a disciple. And sometimes it's going to drive a wedge in families. In fact, Jesus said it like this elsewhere. He says, make no mistake, I did not come to bring peace to this earth. I came and I brought a sword. And it's going to divide some families. And some of you know what that looks like. Because some of you are here this morning and your spouse has never been to church. Some of you are at one church this morning and your spouse doesn't want to be at church. All right, I was asking you to raise your hands, but there'd be fights ensuing, so we're not going to do that. All right, some of you, you're just you're just trying to follow Jesus Christ, and it is bringing a, a sharp dividing line with your children and how you raise them. You know the sacrifice it is going to cost. He's saying, "I want you to love me more." He's saying, don't let your commitment and your love and your passion to Jesus Christ to be swayed by anyone, not even your own spouse, not even your parents, not your kids. That, that crazy, all-out, abandoned love that you have for me, Jesus says, don't let anyone put a wet, damp cloth on that. In fact, how many of y'all know the very spiritual song by Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, when you compare the love you have for me with the love you have for your spouse, shouldn't be any comparison. I should win. It should be like a flashlight compared to looking at the image of the sun. Oh, there's no comparison. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, all right, I married so far up, it hurts. My wife is gorgeous. She's beautiful. Not only is she beautiful outside, she's beautiful inside. And I love this woman. Godly, godly woman. Um, we got married 15, this year it's going to be 16 years ago, December 11th. And um, we got married here in town, downtown at First Baptist. And we had like, uh, the, 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 the six months before we got married, we really didn't see each other. I was in Dallas living at the time. She was living here. I was in Dallas going to seminary, learning to be a preacher. Some of you are going, you should have stayed there, preacher. Anyway, it's all right. But I, knew, I was going there and I was learning a lot. I came back literally the day before the wedding. <laughs> My wife had done everything. I mean, she'd done the flowers, the invitations, everything. Did I tell you I'm married up? And um, I, I remember that Saturday, December 11th, we had about, about 500 people at our wedding. And uh, gorgeous, gorgeous. And my wife just was, I mean, she was flipping rocking. And um, she, uh, I, I remember we had people coming. We had, literally, we had people that literally drove states away who I've not seen in years. Showed up at our wedding. And, um, you know, we're there and uh, we're there at the, we, we, you know, we do the whole ceremony, ceremony thing and we go to the reception and people are coming up, you know, they're shaking your hands. And I, you know what I'm thinking in my mind? I wish you would leave me alone. I want to leave. <laughs> All right, this is me being honest. Because, and hear me, for those of you who got married, you didn't want to be at the reception, did you? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Where did y'all want to be? All right. Anyway, hello. You know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to hang out with my wife. I've not seen her in six months. All right. Um, and, and so, I mean, we got people coming up. You know, Chris, we hadn't seen you forever. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. You know, and if you just were from the outside looking in, you were going, man, you're not a very nice person. Because you don't want to, I mean, these people who you call friends, you don't want to spend time with. Now, hear me. They're my friends. 
But there was something a little bit more important. You know who that was? My wife. God is saying this, that just how you basically, uh, your love for your spouse overshadowed everybody else at your own wedding. God's saying, I want your love for me to overshadow everyone in your life, even your spouse. That, and that really, our big idea has two parts today. The first part is this. Our big idea is a disciple loves Jesus incomparably. There is nothing that compares. Nothing. He wants us to love him more than, more than. Now, if you want to be like 85% of the Americans who call themselves Christian in this fuzzy relationship with God, then you know what? Keep your life compartmentalized and just be a Christian. But that's not what God is calling us to. There's more to it than that. Just like when a baby is born, there's more to that baby's life than just the birth, right? That's just the beginning. But so many Christians, and I got some pushback from this last week. Um, I got one person says, I am never coming to one church again because of what you said. I'm like, do what? And they said, yeah, because there are people who are, you said are 15, 18 years and they're still spiritual babies. Um, and of course in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, well, you know, because we can be spiritual, but we don't, we don't have to grow up in Christ. Now he calls us to, but I've met a lot of people and hear me. I've been that person where I have, I have began that relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was just kind of where I left it. There's more to it than that. And that is what this series is all about. Don't just be babies. In fact, I'm getting a little crazy here. I'm getting off my nose. In Hebrews chapter 6, as well as in 1 Peter, he says, you know what? Some of you, I want to be able to give you some steak of God's word, but you're still on milk because spiritually you're babies. And that can happen to all of us if we're not getting in this work in this word and we're not taking that next step to follow him. All right, now, keep on going back. So a disciple loves Jesus incomparably. Look at verse 33. So no one can become my disciple without giving up. What's that next word? Everything for me. Let me tell you, I did some Greek because that's what the original language is, is written in. And the Greek word for everything, you know what it means? Everything. It's amazing. Everything. 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 You're, on your job? Everything. Um, how you talk to your your husband or your wife, everything. What you look at on the computer, everything. The novels that you read, everything. The shows that you watch on television, everything. The music that you listen to on your iPod, everything. God wants everything. You, he says sometimes you're going to be you're going you're going to have to give up everything for me. Everything. He doesn't just to be want want to be first place on your pot chart. He wants the whole pot chart. Everything. The, the Greek word for first is the word protos. Everybody say that, protos. And it means to be first. Protos. He's saying, now this is what it means. It means to be supreme, first, highest, best, ultimate, absolute, top, greatest, matchless, untouchable, unbeatable, unmatched. That's what the word protos means. And let me share with you some verses that talks about protos. The first one's Matthew 6.33. It says this, but seek, that's protos, seek first 
His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. You know what? When you get Jesus priority number one in your life, it's amazing how everything just kind of falls into place. It just happens that way because that's the first piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only piece. And that's what we're talking about today. Seek first, protos. Let me give you another one. This dude came up to Jesus, asked him a question. He says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Look at this. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? There's the word protos again. Everybody say protos. Protoss, that, what's the most important? He's saying, what is the meaning of life, this fellow's asking. What is the number one, I mean, what is the meaning of life? And Jesus responds this way, verse 28. The most important commandment is this. By the way, the most important protoss commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with some of your heart, about three-fourths of your mind, 20% of your heart, and we'll give you 15% of your strength. Is that what it says? It says what? All. God doesn't want just to be a piece in your pie chart. He wants all. That's what he wants. And may I say, that's what he deserves. Now some of you are thinking, well, this is really impractical because I got to go to work. Right? And I assume I'm supposed to still stay married. Right? Right? And these kids, I've been trying to get rid of them, but I ain't got rid of them yet. So what am I supposed to do? Right? Let me just say this. It doesn't mean that you you get rid of all that stuff. It means, and this is what's so cool about the Bible, the Bible speaks about how to parent your children. The Bible speaks about how to do do just life in your job the way God wants you to do it. The, The Bible speaks, bless you, on how Jesus wants you to act in your marriage. The Bible speaks in all of that. And you're thinking, well, it's not practical to just get rid of all of that. He's not saying get rid of it. He's saying, I want to be first in all of those areas. I want to saturate all of those areas so that I'm Jesus in your work. And I'm Jesus in your marriage. And I'm Jesus with your kids. And I'm Jesus in your school. That you are representing me everywhere. In everything. That's what he's wanting. To be first. I'm going to keep on going. He's protos. And look at this, Colossians 1.15. He existed before God made anything at all, talking about Jesus, and is supreme. Guess what word that is? Protos. Everybody say protos. He is supreme over all creation so that he himself, talking about Jesus, will come to have first. You know what a word that is? Protos. First place in everything. How many things? In everything that you do? Is that what the Bible's saying? I want to be really clear about this. I don't want there to be any mist here or any fuzziness. He's saying he wants to be first in everything that you do. That's what he wants. If you're going to be a disciple for him. If you want to take that next step with Jesus Christ. And some of you, you took a step years ago. And you did what my friend did this morning. You prayed and you asked Jesus Christ to be your savior. Man, I'm telling you that is the most important decision you can ever make. But it's not the only decision you need to make. Because once you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, you take that next step and you say, God, now what do you want me to do? Let me follow you. And you start taking another step. Let me follow you. And you take another step. 
If you want to take that next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ, then answer this question. What areas of your life are you not putting him first place in everything? And why not? Because he wants to have first place in how you take tests and how you eat. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. What you eat, what you don't eat, what you look at, what you don't look at, who you talk to, who you don't talk to, everything. He wants to be first place in everything. Let's go back to our first verse. It says, if you want to be my follower, you must love me more than and fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank. I can't fill it in for you. What are some things in your life that you love that thing or that person more than Jesus Christ? What is it? What is that? How does that look? And why? This last verse I want to read to you, well, it rocked my world when I, when I finally got my head around it. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think it's going to rock yours as well. I want to set it up. It's in John chapter 21, verse 15. As you turn there, let me share what's going on in this passage. This is the last chapter in the book of John. Now, John was written by John, and it's all about Jesus. And it tells the life of Jesus. And when you get to this point in the last chapter of the book of John, let me tell you what's happened. Jesus has, has already taught. He's already fed thousands. He's walked on the water. Um, he was betrayed by some of his friends, some of his own disciples. All of his disciples ran from him. Peter denied him three times and even cursed while doing it. I blankety blank blank and used a bunch of four-letter words saying, I don't know that dude. And all of them left Jesus. And Peter, after just leaving Jesus, he goes back to doing what he did before he met Jesus. And you all remember what that was? Fishing. He had his nets and he's out there in his boat and he's out fishing. And in the last chapter, Peter is out there fishing. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. And what's so cool is he's been raised from the dead. See, that what's make... That, that makes Jesus different than anybody else. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Jesus travels back up to the, the Galilee and on the sea, and he meets Peter. And Peter's in there, he's in the nets, and he's throwing out, and he's throwing out, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus on the shore. And Jesus is cooking some fish. Don't know where he got it, but he just he's cooking some fish. And Peter. He just dives in head first and he swims. He doesn't wait for them to say, hey, can you take me there? Jesus over there, I need to talk to him. He dives in head first and he's swimming as hard as he can. And with his heart pounding, almost wanting to explode within his chest, he gets out on the shore. And I can picture Jesus with his big old arms wrapping him around Peter. And Peter just crying. Just with hot tears. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deny you. I'm sorry. And Jesus is going, it's okay. I'm here. I'm never going anywhere. That's the scene. 
And in John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus asked Peter a question. Look at this. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some of your Bible says, it says, do you love me more than everything? Do you love me more than these? And what does Peter say? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Simon Peter replied. You know I love you. Once more, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I mean, what's going on here? Peter was grieved. He was sorry. He, he, he was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything you know I do. You know, when, I was, when I've read this growing up in church, I just, I never understood this. But let me, I'm, I'm going to explain this, but let me, let God ask you that question today. And it's not Simon and it's not Peter, but it may be Bill, maybe Jim, Eugene, Brittany. Do you love Jesus? Do you love me? Now, what's interesting is Jesus asked Peter a question that Jesus already knew the answer to. Peter was like, yeah, you know I love you. But Jesus knew the answer, and the answer was no. Peter did not love Jesus the way Jesus was talking about. And some of you, if God is asking you that question, and you're finally getting through all the self-denial, all the lies, and all the rational lies that you're telling yourself, you know, I like Jesus on Sunday, but I also like this on Monday, and I like my booze on Tuesday, and I like this type of drug on Wednesday. You know and you finally get to the point, maybe I don't love Jesus. I am so thankful you're finally getting to that point. Because once you're able to cut through all of the fuzziness of it, you can see that God really wants to have a loving relationship with you. Now let's look at this in the original language because this doesn't really make too much sense. All right, Jesus asked the question, Jesus says, Peter, do you have a fanatical, imbalanced, crazy, give it all up love for me? By the way, the Greek word that he uses is the word agape. Everybody say that. Agape. I'm sorry I haven't used all these different weird words today, but just hang out with me for a sec. He's saying it's a God-centered love. It's a love that it's the all of your heart. All, I mean, it is everything. And Jesus has asked Peter, hey... Do you love me with this God all, this fanatical love? And listen to how Peter responds. Peter replies, Lord, you know I love you like my buddy. In fact, the Greek word for love that Peter uses is the word phileo. And it means I love you like a friend. And now it starts to make sense because Jesus is talking about one thing and Peter is talking about another. Jesus turns to Peter and basically says, that's not what I asked you. I'm not saying, do you love me like I'm your friend Jesus says, I'm asking you, do you love me with all of your heart, all of your soul? Do you love me with the protos of your life? Do you, I don't want just a part of your pie chart. I want the whole shebang. So we ask him again. Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? 
And Peter replies, you know, I phileo you, God. You know, you and I, we're buddies. We're friends. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. He gave him a gang symbol. Deuces, right? You know, and Jesus, we hang out. Jesus, in the past three years, you and I have hung out. You know that we're friends. And I have you like a friend, but I also have other friends. How many of y'all got more than one friend? Hopefully that's most of you. How many of y'all, let me ask you, how many of y'all on Facebook? How many of y'all got friends on Facebook? How many people you got on Facebook as friends? Anyone? 539, but who's counting? Right? I mean, that's really good, Aaron. All right, cool. You, You may have a lot of people, all right? And you know what? When we love Jesus like one out of 539, you see, we can have many different friends, right? And I'm not just picking on you. You know that now, Aaron. I'm, I'm saying this. My, my light's leaving me. There you go. Um, I'm getting dimmer. I think that, that's like get off the stage. That's what they're doing. All right? What Jesus is saying is this, and, and zone in with me for a sec. He's saying, you know what? It's all right to have tons of friends. It's all right to have 600 friends and 800 friends and all that stuff. But I just don't want to be one among 539 or one among 800. Because you know what? You can hang out with one friend on Friday night and you can hang out with another friend on Saturday night. And they can understand that, you know, y'all are just, that's just what you do because you have different friends. And Jesus saying, listen, I don't want to just be like another one of your friends. I want to be your life. I want to be your all. And then Jesus asked a third time, Peter, do you fillet on me? It's almost like Jesus said, you're not getting it. I'm going to come down to your level. And Peter says, you know, you know I do. We're friends. But Jesus says in the next verse, it ain't going to cut it. Because you're going to be led places you don't want to go. And this buddy relationship you think I have with you and you have with me, you've got to go deeper. So my prayer for you this morning is this. If, are you just buddies with God? Are you just buddies with him? Or is he your Lord? Is he calling the shots in your life? Because that's what he wants. That's what he deserves. He deserves to be our Lord and for us to be his disciple. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, I know this is many times, many hard for all, it's hard for all of us to hear because all of us, we think that us and God are okay and we have this love relationship and he's just one of many friends, God. But Lord, You want us to love you more than our friends. You want us to love you, God, more than our own parents, more than our own children, more than our own siblings, more than our our spouse, God. You want us to love more than. So, Lord, I pray for this group of people in here. I I pray, Lord, that if we have a bunch of balanced Christians in here, that you would shake their lives up in such a way, you would move all of those pieces around in the pie chart so it's not just God is a part of many things, but it is God. That he is everything. Lord, that's what you call us to. That's what you want for our life. And Lord... I pray that we would be able to take that call, counting the cost, and saying, I'm willing to make you everything. I'm willing to obey you even when my spouse doesn't like it. 
I'm willing to get into your word and read about you even when, um, when I'm on my lunch break and I may get fun of, made fun of with my employers. Lord, I'm going to love you with everything. Lord, I, I pray for those in here who think it's just that they love God, but they really don't. Lord, as, as we continue this time of worship, God, I know that we're going to have people along all sides of, this, of, of, of the walls. And Lord, we're going to have people that if people need to ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior, Lord, that you would make it clear to them. They would be able to go and say, please, tell me how I can get saved. That's the reason we do everything, God. It is for you, Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.